Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has a story about controversy brewing in Truro over the status of the town manager, and I've got a story about National Seashore Superintendent Brian Karlstrom's response to criticisms of the Dune Shack leasing process. Will David is here with his exclusive WOMR weekend weather outlook, and Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about garden wisdom with a soupçon of snark. The Truro Select Board held an executive session on Friday, June 16th, with two items on the agenda. The first was to discuss charges brought against either a public officer, employee, staff member, or individual. The second was to discuss the contract renewal of town manager Darren Tangeman. Before the board entered the closed session, select board member Sue Arison read a statement identifying herself as the subject of the first agenda item. On June 13th, the select board received a letter from an attorney representing a registered voter alleging that Arison had violated the town charter by conducting unofficial investigations, exercising individual authority as a member of the select board, and dealing with employees supervised by the town manager without going through Tangeman himself. Arison requested a continuance of the discussion, saying that 48 hours' notice was not enough time for her to retain counsel. She also requested that the discussion take place in an open session. Select Board Member Bob Weinstein moved to grant Arison's request for a continuance, and the motion passed. When the Select Board reconvened after its closed session, Chair Kristen Reed said that no votes had been taken regarding Tangeman's contract renewal. The board will reconvene in another executive session on June 28th for a discussion of the town manager's contract and any potential further investigation into the charges against Arison. A vocal contingent of Truro voters and non-voters have asked the select board not to renew the town manager's contract, citing reasons including high taxes, housing development said to threaten Truro's rural nature, and Tangeman's managerial style. Tangeman became town manager at the beginning of 2021, and his three-year contract will expire on January 3rd, 2024. Select Board Chair Kristen Reed told The Independent that his contract remains active under an indefinite appointment under the current existing terms, unless a supermajority of the Select Board votes not to renew it by June 30th. The Independent reviewed messages sent to the Select Board as all letters and emails to the board are public documents. While some of the emails cited excessive spending and escalating taxes as reasons to fire Tangeman, state law empowers town meeting voters to approve or reject all spending. The select board makes policy decisions, including developing the budget. The town manager and finance committee make recommendations, but don't have final authority over budgets. At town meeting this spring, the budget passed easily. 
Two Proposition Two and a Half overrides, which critics have blamed Tangeman for, were approved at both town meeting and the town election in May. An online petition initiated by Jonathan Slater, titled Truro Needs a New Town Manager, had collected 391 apparent endorsements as of the Independent's news deadline on Tuesday, June 13th. Contacted by the Independent, Josh Grandel said that he signed the petition because he recognized the names of other signers and because he's not a fan of this big social agenda that's going on with childcare. Grandel also said he thought the town manager was Bob Weinstein. Weinstein is a select board member. Told that the town manager's name was Darren Tangeman, Grandel said, I've never heard of him. The most common grievance expressed by Tangeman's critics points to his leadership style, which has been described by some as autocratic. Tangeman said he's sensitive to that criticism and saw a need for clarification of the role of town manager, which is to implement, not create, select board policies and voter decisions. The town manager also has his supporters. Bob Panacitti, chair of the Truro Finance Committee, posted a message on the town's unofficial Facebook group calling attention to citizens' role in approving the town budget. He wrote that he intended to correct false narratives and disputed anxieties about suburbanization. Panacitti also wrote the select board in support of Tangeman, calling the call for his dismissal a modern-day witch hunt. Finance Committee member Kristen Roberts served on the search committee that screened Tangeman and said that although Tangeman wasn't her first choice, she's been pleasantly surprised and believes that he will be the best person to steer the town through the development projects that put the town at a significant crossroads. The Truro Select Board meets again on Wednesday, June 28th, when it will revisit the issue of the town manager's contract and the charges against Select Board member Sue Arison. A string of recent incidents highlighted the dangers of traveling on Route 6 on the Outer Cape. On the morning of Wednesday, June 7th, Philip Zimmerman was driving north on Route 6 when he struck and snapped a utility pole in front of the Eventide Motel, according to the Wellfleet Police. Zimmerman continued driving the van belonging to a booty electric of Dennis for another quarter mile before hitting and snapping a second utility pole in front of Fraser Enterprises. The vehicle came to rest near Bob's subid cone against a third pole which was unharmed. Zimmerman is being charged with three counts, including negligent operation of a motor vehicle and leaving the scene of property damage. Matt Frazier said the second snapped pole did significant damage to three of his employees' vehicles. The crash caused nearly 250 customers to lose power. Because there are no easy detours off Route 6, some accidents can shut down traffic for hours. With few traffic lights, no left turn lanes, and little provision for sidewalks or bike lanes, Route 6 on the Outer Cape can be an adventure for drivers, bikers, and pedestrians alike. Just one day before the Zimmerman incident on Tuesday, June 6, Truro, Wellfleet, and East Ham police responded to multiple 911 calls about two motorcycles operating in a highly erratic manner. Two men were reportedly going more than 100 miles per hour, weaving in and out of traffic, passing vehicles in no-passing zones, and failing to maintain marked lanes. 
The two men were arrested by East Ham and Wellfleet Police in the parking lot of the 7-Eleven in East Ham and will each face five charges, including negligent operation of a motor vehicle and speeding. Route 6 was also the site of a four-vehicle crash in East Ham at Massasoit Road on Monday, June 5th. One of the vehicles was attempting to make a left turn from the highway. Without a left turn lane, cars must come to a complete stop in the middle of the highway and wait for a lull in oncoming traffic. Though efforts to improve Route 6 safety are underway in both Wellfleet and East Ham, Outer Cape residents will likely not see a reworked roadway for several years. There is a town-initiated proposal to redesign Route 6 in northeast Ham. The proposal suggests narrowing the two lanes on each side to one, and adding a turning lane in the middle. The design still needs approval from the State Department of Transportation. Once that happens, East Ham officials will have to assemble financing, which means it may still be five years or more before Outer Cape residents see the redesign happen. Route 6 in Wellfleet is also due for improvements. As part of a plan to repave the roadway, the state will be redoing traffic markings, including for bike lanes, and constructing modified sidewalks between the East Ham Town Line and Main Street. The Town and Mass Department of Transportation are also pursuing a substantial redesign of the intersection of Route 6 and Main Street in Wellfleet. The plan includes sidewalks on each side of Route 6 and the north side of Main Street, bike lanes on each side, and a left-turn lane into the Outer Cape Health Services Pharmacy. Wellfleet DPW Director Jay Norton said he did not know how long the repaving work would take, but he anticipates construction on the Main Street project could last between six and seven years. In the meantime, officials in both towns say they wish drivers on Route 6 would simply slow down. The Cape Cod Roots and Blues Festival was on track toward becoming a destination event on the Lower Cape before the pandemic. Four years after the last concert, organizers now want to bring the event back to Nauset Beach. Hog Island Brewing Company and the nonprofit Friends of Nauset Beach are organizing the event, now rebranded as the Outermost Music Festival. Hog Island co-founder Mike McNamara told the Orleans Select Board that organizers are aiming to stage the event in early October this year. Organizers first brought the event to Nauset Beach in 2018 and held it again in 2019. Mark Matheson of the Select Board said that while the first year was a huge undertaking, organizers and community members pulled together an event that helped raise about $20,000 for the town. Matheson said organizers only improved upon their planning and preparation for the festival in the second year. McNamara said this year he hopes to run a scaled-back festival that will be more easily organized. He also told the select board last week that the addition of the upper parking lot at Nauset Beach means organizers will not need to provide a shuttle service for the event. The select board voted June 14th to approve planning of the festival, subject to staff review. Orleans officials hope that a new housing assessment will help guide the town with specifics as to what the community needs, as well as who needs it. The town last conducted a housing needs assessment in 2017. 
That study recommended that the town work to create 100 units of housing over the next 10 years. George Maservi, the town's director of planning and community development, said the town has about 150 units in the pipeline for development in the coming years, but that the recommendations laid out in the 2017 study no longer meet the community's housing needs. Maservi said the pandemic fundamentally altered the housing climate, not only in Orleans, but across the region. A consultant has been hired, using affordable housing trust fund money, to help with the assessment. The town is also looking for help from the public in conducting the assessment. A housing survey is currently posted on the town's website that residents and homeowners can take part in. More information about the survey and the housing needs assessment can be found on the Orleans Town website, town.orleans.ma.us. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. At least 45 people were given tours of dune shacks last week by National Park Service officials who are running the bidding contest for eight of the 18 dune shacks of the Peaked Hill Bars Historic District on the back shore of Provincetown and Truro. Prospective bidders were driven by park rangers from the province lands visitor center to the shacks and passed a group of protesters who held signs and chanted slogans at the entrance to the dunes on Route 6. The Park Service's request for proposals to lease the shacks has been criticized by the select boards of Provincetown and Truro for not following the Park Service's own Historic District Preservation and Use Plan from 2012. In a letter to the Provincetown Select Board last week, National Seashore Superintendent Brian Karlstrom wrote that the Park Service would not withdraw or redefine its current RFP as the board had requested. He also defended the seasonal use restrictions in the new 10-year leases by noting that winter conditions in the area are harsh. Karlstrom also denied the board's request to remove the option for bidders to offer more than the stated market rent for the shacks, calling the park's strategy of encouraging higher bids a sound business practice. Karlstrom's letter to the Provincetown board also confirmed that, beyond the eight shacks currently being offered for lease, the Chanel shack, currently occupied by Sal Daldeo, and the Armstrong shack, currently occupied by Janet Armstrong, would both also be put up for competitive leasing sometime in the future. The Armstrong shack has been occupied by the same family since 1949, but on June 15th, Janet Armstrong received a letter telling her that it's necessary for the National Park Service to take possession of the property in 90 days. Most of the residents of the eight shacks in the current leasing program are currently preparing bids for their own shacks for the July 3rd deadline. Without a current leasing program for the Chanel and Armstrong shacks, however, the Del Deo and Armstrong families will need to fully vacate their shacks without having an opportunity to bid on them. The nearly two-decade-long delay of an affordable housing development at 120 Payne Hollow Road in Wellfleet was extended for at least another year recently when developer Ted Malone received word from Assistant Town Administrator Rebecca Ruffley 
that the town had to withdraw an application for funding from the state. Roughly cited competing applications with the Lawrence Road project and a lack of staff to administer the grant. Malone's plans to build eight units on the five-acre site were opposed by neighbors after the town selected his company to develop the site for affordable housing in 2006. A Butters appealed an order of conditions from the Conservation Commission that year, arguing that wastewater from the units would contaminate their wells. The Department of Environmental Protection sided with the Conservation Commission and the abutters lost the case in 2008 after further appeals. By that time, economic conditions created by the Great Recession made development impossible. Malone began again in 2017 with a new proposal under the state's Chapter 40B, which allows zoning boards to streamline review in communities where affordable housing inventory is less than 10% of total housing stock. Wellfleet is at 2.5%. After changes to the plan that included reducing the slope of the development's driveway, the board granted Malone a comprehensive permit. Abutters then sued the zoning board. A four-year court battle ended in 2021 with a settlement that included further reducing the slope of the driveway, relocating a septic system, and installing fencing between neighboring properties. All of that work increased costs, which meant that the project would only be feasible if the town applied for other funding sources. But because Wellfleet is also pursuing funds from the state for wastewater treatment at the Lawrence Road project, Roughly told Malone it would not be possible to apply for both projects. Roughly also stated in her email to Malone that Wellfleet's staffing shortage would make it difficult to administer the grant. Roughly, who is the town's procurement officer, has resigned as of the end of June. Roughly's resignation precipitated the withdrawal of an RFP for a master plan for housing at Maurice's campground, and the housing authority decided not to issue an RFP for the construction of a single-family affordable home on Freeman Ave, after Roughly announced her resignation. Housing Authority Chair Elaine McElroy said that without a procurement officer, the project cannot advance. There are still houses on the horizon, McElroy said, though. Habitat for Humanity will begin construction in September on four single-family affordable homes on a three-acre site on Old King's Highway. The explosion that destroyed Miriam and Todd Henning's house in Truro on April 20th was likely caused by a leaking propane tank, according to local and state fire and police officials. Truro Fire Chief Tim Collins, Police Chief Jamie Calise, and State Fire Marshal Peter Ostrowski issued a joint press release on June 17th saying that the 34-year-old outdoor tank was overdue for a requalification exam and had been improperly filled. Evidence suggests that propane leaked into the basement where it was ignited by either the water heater or furnace. This led to a fire and explosion, ultimately causing a 120-gallon propane tank to detonate. The explosion shook homes from Provincetown to Brewster, injuring no one but leaving wreckage and ash where the two-story home on Harding's Way had been.
Much of the rubble is still there. The property remains fenced. The Hennings are still staying in a rental house on Ryder Beach Road with friends. In early July, they will move to Orleans. Their son, Ari, has continued to deal with the explosion's aftermath. He said the site is due to get cleared soon, and a septic inspection revealed some damage, but things are getting to the point where he can think about rebuilding. The Provincetown Schools will open a third infant-toddler room later this summer at its early learning center, thanks in part to a grant of over $360,000 in Federal American Rescue Plan Act money allocated by Barnstable County. Last August, the Barnstable County Commissioners and Assembly of Delegates agreed to designate $5 million in ARPA funds for small and medium-sized grants. Capewide, early education and child care programs received the largest portion of the $5 million pot at $1.1 million. Currently, 20 children are enrolled in the center's infant and toddler program, which serves children ages 8 months to 36 months, and there's a substantial waiting list. In addition to covering the cost of upgrades to the Early Learning Center space and the playground behind its facility in the Veterans Memorial Community Center, the grant will help pay the salaries of one teacher in the infant and toddler program and assistant teachers in the preschool and pre-kindergarten programs for three- and four-year-olds. The Early Learning Center serves families from all four towns on the Outer Cape, and children from even farther away are sometimes enrolled, generally because a parent works nearby. Children of Provincetown residents attend the programs free of charge. Eastham, Truro, and Wellfleet have voucher programs to offset tuition costs. Other ARPA allotments to support child care and early education programs went to the YMCA of Cape Cod, the Cape Cod Council of Churches, and Cape Cod Children's Place. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. It's been one of the cloudiest Junes in history, and this highly unusual early summer weather pattern shows no signs of abating. A complex and elongated storm stretching from the southeast to New York State will bring a moist southerly airflow to the Outer Cape from this afternoon through much of Saturday. The storm and its attending fronts will gradually move eastward and be off the coast by early Sunday. And I think Sunday now is probably looking like the better of the two weekend days. But another large and strong upper low will quickly develop and become stationary over the Ohio Valley next week. With the upper low to our west and a Bermuda high off the coast, a moist airflow with the origins in the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico will bring high humidity and certainly a more summery vibe, but it'll come with an abundance of clouds and a good chance of showers and thunderstorms on a daily basis. In the longer term, I don't see much of a break in this pattern through the July 4th holiday. Now, don't get me wrong, not every day will be a washout, in fact, probably none, but with high humidity 
and an unstable atmosphere, showers and thunderstorms will continue to be a good bet, along with below average temperatures for early summer. Elsewhere across the nation, this atmospheric block and wacky weather pattern has a stronghold over much of North America. An unusually strong upper low in the West is clashing with an unprecedented dome of heat over Texas. Thunderstorms with hail the size of softballs is possible from the front range of the Rockies to Texas this weekend. Meanwhile, under that heat dome, all-time record high temperatures above 110 and heat indices around 120 degrees will continue. The strong upper low in the east continues to bring unusually cool and stormy weather from the mid-Atlantic to central Florida, and rainfall amounts in these areas could exceed a foot over the next several days. And finally, a strong ridge of high pressure over the North Atlantic is bringing a heat wave to the Atlantic Ocean with record sea surface temperatures from the North Atlantic to the main development region in the tropical Atlantic. This is now the most intense Atlantic heat wave in 170 years, with sea surface temperatures some nine degrees above average. The record warm waters have spawned two June tropical storms in the tropical Atlantic for the first time in recorded history. Again, a testament to climate change and the frequency of extreme weather events becoming more commonplace. By the way, the odds of the ocean temperatures in the Atlantic being this warm so early? One in 256,000. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, mostly cloudy and humid with patchy fog and a little bit of drizzle at times. Highs around 71. Tonight, mostly cloudy and humid with scattered showers. Lows around 67. Saturday, breezy and humid with showers and thunderstorms likely. Heavy rainfall is possible in some of these thunderstorms. Highs around 74. Sunday, partly sunny, continued humid with only widely scattered showers. Highs around 76. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. I've been an avid gardener now for about 45 years, and people ask me a lot of questions. They ask me how I started gardening, knowing that I was a lazy pothead from the city when I moved here. They ask me why I bother gardening, knowing that you can buy all the veggies you want, even organic ones, at the supermarket. They ask me how I cope with the heat, the drought, the increasing numbers of critters and the weeds, as well as the aches and pains of gardening as we all get older. My wife and I have a family joke. Like everyone we know, we have busy lives. We work, we cook, we clean, we travel, we teach, we write, we volunteer, we socialize, we perform, and then, every April, we add a farm. But now that the planting is done, it's a good time to answer all these questions, but with one caveat. Please seek actual fact-based information from someone else. I am a very peculiar man with many 
baseless opinions, ridiculous superstitions, nasty attitudes, and absolutely no claim to the validity of my own advice. Even the fact that I sometimes grow excellent tomatoes is a complete mystery to me. Although it feels like I do the same thing, the exact same way every season, some years they could win a ribbon at the county fair, other years they just rot on the vine. But let the questioning begin. So, how did a lethargic, slothful slugabed from Cambridge come to revel in digging, planting, and weeding vegetables when, at the time, I rarely even ate them? The answer is sex. My future wife was an avid gardener. She loved me, I have no doubt. We had a good physical relationship, to be sure. But she was a woman like not a few others I've met who actually got turned on by watching her partner working toward the common good, reframing a door, cementing kitchen tile, whatever it made her hot. Not to put too fine a point on it, I discovered early on that after working in the garden, we had fabulous sex. Why, people sometimes ask, do I even bother growing my own vegetables? It's certainly not less expensive. It's actually because the veggies you buy in the store taste like they were sprayed with poison, packed unripe, stored in a warehouse, shipped on a truck, left on a loading dock, and jammed in a display case. And there's a scientifically proven reason for that. They were. How do I cope with drought and weeds? Given the annual increase of the Earth's temperature and our lack of summer rainfall out here, this has become one of our biggest issues. But I can answer with one word, mulch. I use copious amounts of mulch on paths and under vegetables, straw, leaves, salté, black plastic, garden paper, burlap, I use mulch the way some people use ketchup. I put it on everything. Critters in the night have been one of my biggest problems. Frankly, I don't even know what they are. Voles, chipmunks, rabbits, rats. My wife swears we have a woodchuck. And to foil them, I have built all kinds of constructions. Chicken wire, netting, cloches. As I have said many times... My garden looks less like Eden than a minimum security prison. My latest solution is a foul-smelling, nausea-inducing, finger-staining concoction made of dried blood and vegetable oil. It is designed to induce a fear-based response that animals associate with predators. And it works equally well on nosy neighbors. The last question is one we all have to deal with, how to garden as we age. My wife built her house when she was in her 30s, with nary a thought to getting older, and judging from the jagged walkways, crooked steps without railings, pitted driveways, and other obstacles we have to negotiate in the dark to get into our friends' houses, so did they. If I was to start building a garden today, I'd build all raised beds. They're so much easier to weed, protect, and plant in. And 
just like working at your laptop, you can sit and work at the same time. So there you have all my collected wisdom on gardens with a soupçon of snark. And I doubt that you'd want it any other way. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Jacob Greenberg and Henry and Jane Fisher for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio, WOMR. Mm-hmm.